are halfway through our Advent series, The Promise. And today we take a look at the third of the first people to see the incredible promise of a Savior who has come fulfilled. God prepared the way for Christ's birth through his cousin John. And John's unlikely conception and birth bring his father Zechariah great joy because this child would be one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Messiah's coming. Today we focus on Zechariah, the father of John, and the joy of preparation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. You'll pray for me and with me as we gather this morning. Gracious God, may the words that I say speak to the promise fulfilled in Isaiah and into the life of Zechariah and throughout all time. May it speak to us of preparation, of the great joy that comes. Joy not found in happiness, but in your birth and our belief in you in all things. May these words speak to us in a place we need to hear joy the most this morning. Where do we need to feel that kind of joy in our lives right now? Lord, pour that into us in these words this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit and the people of God both here and at home said together, Amen. Welcome you to follow along with the U version and be able to see the notes and some fill in the blanks if that's your flavor and be able to uh, do those things this morning as well. So today is indeed the third Sunday of Advent and we are in the middle of our sermon series, The Promise. We've been discovering the many promises of God that are fulfilled in the birth of Christ. We focus on these themes of Advent, of hope, and peace, and joy, and love. The first week, we discovered that God's promised hope, say hope, came in the form of a person. That Jesus meets our deepest longings and is the hope for our present and our future. The second week, we look at the promise of peace, say peace. It was given to the lowly shepherds there would be a new government that would come. It would bring peace to the world. And today we are taking a look at the third theme of Advent, which is joy. Say joy. Joy. Now Christmas can truly be the most wonderful time of the year. And even if it's not for you, then there is probably something in it that you do find joy. For some, it's gathering with friends and family to celebrate. Others, it's eating the Christmas meal and, of course, the Christmas desserts that go along with that. Or I find joy in the Christmas lights and the festivities of those things. Or maybe what you love the most is giving gifts to others and your family or maybe giving those gifts at Angel Tree. Many of us look forward to opening presents and seeing what's under the tree for us, but it's always brought more joy for me to see what others open up that I have purposefully bought and picked out and wrapped up and laid under the tree. Maybe you're like that. Some folks have a tradition of opening a gift early on Christmas Eve because they just can't wait. That is completely wrong and you should never do that. And I'm coming to your house to stop you from doing that. Like the ketchup bottle is, anticipation, just wait for it. The good stuff is going to come. You don't have to rush it along. 
Brothers of you, it's Christmas morning only, or maybe whenever your family can gather. See, when I was a kid, my dad was always at the hospital on Christmas Day. We never celebrated those things on the actual day because as a registered nurse, he was there taking the shifts for other people so they could be home with their families, especially later in life. So whenever he came in the door, that was the time we celebrated, whenever he got off of work on those holidays. And when I was a kid, it would take everything within me to remain patient to be in the proper time, whatever that was, to just wait and prepare. You see, when someone finds joy in something, it's really hard to contain it, amen? It's hard to hide it. The thing that brings you joy are the things you want to share with the world, just in our nature, to want to share what makes us the happiest And it's no wonder that we find in Scripture then that God is eager to share the joy of Christ's birth even before it was time for Him to arrive. See, the incarnation, that is God coming down in human form with skin on, as Eugene Peterson talks about it, is the greatest gift that has ever been given, you see. And you can almost sense God's excitement for the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that will come through His arrival in the world. A world that's been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so where do we find true joy? I mean, true joy. Not just joy in the things around us, but true joy? Well, Jesus' birth is the source of true joy. That's what the whole season is wrapped around when you peel back all the layers. And the book of Isaiah speaks to this coming gift. There are prophetic words given about someone who would come prepare the world for the arrival of Jesus. And Isaiah 40 was written hundreds of years before its fulfillment. And it's one of God's joyful promises for the future. Hear these words again. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. And all I can hear is Handel's Messiah whenever I read those words. God God promised that there will be a time of preparation before Christ's birth. There will be a straightening and a leveling out that will happen and take place, ensuring that the glory of God and Jesus be made available to all people, you see. To all people. And so when I read these verses, I can sense the joy that God has to share with the world that... What was once broken by sin, we made right again. And the truth is that preparation is the key to fulfilling any great event and enjoying it. You have to prepare. You have seen events when things were not prepared, how they end up going. 
if we just show up for the Christmas canteen and like nobody had practiced and spent all this time and said, you know what, I'm just going to wing it tonight. I probably will anyways, but, but I mean, you know, everybody else has practiced a lot, so they're, go- they're ready to go, right? But if we had just said what? What? Is that right? Professional wingers. That's right. Professional wingers. But if we just said, you know, to ourselves, like, you know what? We're just going to show up tonight. We'll just see how it's going to happen. We won't even practice those bells. You'll all be right in line. That'll sound, you know, fantastic. Preparation is the key to any event like that. And any event in our life, really. You see, every year in our house, it's no less than a military operation that takes precise precision to transform the squire's household into Epiphany Central. We're excited in this last year that we will be able to do it one more time and not be virtual like it was last year. That was so disappointing for the huge event that we love to have to gather at Epiphany. It takes a lot of preparation. It takes a lot of totes. It takes a lot of patience and preparation to get the entire house ready to go for that event. See, the promise in the Old Testament is that the people of God will see the preparation takes place. That God does not want them to miss it because it's a signpost for what is to come. And any barriers that are in the way to experiencing the joy, the miraculous birth are removed, it says. There is no desert. There's no mountain. There's no valley. No rugged place will stand in the way of the revelation of Christ. That's what Advent is all about. Preparing ourselves. Flash forward hundreds of years and we meet Zechariah. He's a priest who serves in the temple of God. And all priests served in the temple for two one-week periods each year. And in the midst of Zechariah's annual ministry, he was chosen by Lot to engage in the greatest ministry of his career, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn the incense while people pray outside. This special ministry was thought to be only performed once in a lifetime. This is Zechariah's once in a lifetime chance. What he's been designed to do, what he has been doing his whole career, is right now in this moment, in this time. See, Zechariah actually means Yahweh has remembered again. Yahweh has remembered. Remembered again. And while Zechariah was serving in the temple, suddenly then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. He was startled and gripped by fear. But like any other interaction with the angels in the Christmas story, the first word given to him is, do not be afraid. And as Rick said last week, whenever an angel says that to you, be afraid. Be afraid. And so the angel goes on, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. 
and you will name him John. So apparently, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth have been praying for a child, and their prayers are being answered. And the angel says, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Say joy. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. The angel continues, He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, this means he would take a Nazarite vow to serve God all his life. And Nazarite vows kept him from drinking alcohol and cutting his hair or coming in contact with dead bodies. That's why he looks like he looks out in the wilderness, not by choice, it's by vow. Clearly, this boy was special. God had plans to use him for a particular thing, to bring joy to his family and to the entire world by the way he would live. The angel continues, He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God because of his life may be brought back to the Lord. Because of his life, he prepared the people for something wonderful that was about to happen. And so you can see the connections between Isaiah 40 and then in Luke 17, verse 17, with the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to him being Jesus, to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people ready for the Lord. And what does John cry out in the wilderness? Prepare the way. This baby boy will prepare the people for the arrival of the Lord. John will be a joy to his family and a joy to the world because he will be the one calling in the wilderness and making a rival a way of arrival for the Son of God. So where else do we find true joy? We find true joy in preparing others to experience God. Helping others to find God. One of the greatest joys of the Christmas season is the opportunity we are given to prepare the way for others to see Jesus for who He really is. You see, the most joyful people during this time of year are the ones who experience the hope and the peace of God in their lives because they trust in Jesus, not in their circumstances, not in anything else around them. The way they speak to others, the way they serve others, the way they treat others are all a means of preparing the way for others to meet Jesus. You might be the only Jesus anyone ever meets. How you act and what you do and what you say speaks volumes about the God in whom you believe. That you can never take back, even in a moment of forgetting. We are always representatives of Jesus preparing the way, as John the Baptist did, for others to meet him. And if we're the barrier, they never get past us. They look at us and they go, if your God's like you, I don't want to be anywhere near that. See, this joy is a commodity that's in short supply in our world. There are people all around us who are miserable. They're all over their heads, lost in their life, headed the wrong direction. They're heartbroken over the pain of life. 
and the loss in their life, and they're hopeless in the face of suffering. Now is the time for sharing the joy of Jesus with the world. That's what we're called to do as Christians during this time. To share the joy of Jesus with this world. What the people of Mayfield, Kentucky need is, after looking at this, the first pictures I saw Saturday morning, on the left is Mayfield first. In the middle, that empty spot, was their entire sanctuary. The courthouse that I've seen as I've gone around, it's beautifully lit for Christmas. Another church, they have three churches right there in downtown. They're all destroyed. And then these pictures that I just received from Mayfield, looking at it during the daylight, the tornado just carved out the entire middle of that place and just took it with it. How do you find hope in that? If this place was destroyed tomorrow, surely it's not the church. People are the church, but buildings have memories. And they have history. And they have love. If this place was wiped off the face of the map, how would you feel? As my friend's church gathers another church this morning and tries to make sense of what has happened to them in 24 hours, they had just had their Advent festival where they go to each church and do all of this. And it's so beautiful. It's all lit up just like this. All of them wiped out. How do you find hope and peace in that? Or in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Main Street. place we go often. Riley's Bakery. Hyder Shoes used to be there. A place that we know well. Destroyed. In the middle of it, Dresden. Don't even know much about Dresden, but Dresden first, that's what it looks like now. Another Methodist church destroyed. Dixon, here, right now, what people need is hope in the midst of hopelessness, see? This is what I saw in King Spring, Kingston, Kingston Springs, though. A cross. Already put up on the spot where damage had happened, where their trailer's gone, where everything is wiped out. They grabbed two branches, put them together, and made the cross. And whenever I see that symbol, to me that shows me hope. Right? Not just destruction, but there's the cross standing in the middle of it. There's the cross there in the middle of people's pain and their despair and their brokenness, and their loss of every possession they have in this life. That's what the people need who are all around us right now. Peace in the midst of an unplanned chaos. Joy in the little things that are left that they sort through, and memories that are still there, and a photo book that hasn't been touched, and all of the things that will come across their plate in the days to come. And the big ones, when people have survived out of the rubble, literally at the candle factory, they had to go over the bodies to get to those who were still alive and pull them out in Mayfield, Kentucky. One guy I was watching, you know, he was looking for his wife. He just talked to her. The roof came off. They're all huddled in trying to survive. He can't find her. She's not in any list. But eventually, during the course of the morning, she was found. What kind of joy is that? 
But there is still joy in the midst of loss. Plenty of folks lost their lives too. But that's how joy is found. And as people surviving have come together, they start to come together in love, helping each other, helping neighbors. And you hear those stories again and again and again. And the stories of love, of reaching out across every boundary, every line, every belief, every political system, coming across and just taking care of their neighbors and helping each other. So what is one way you can sacrificially bring joy to those around you during this season? How can your life be a a beacon of hope because of your love for Jesus? How does that happen here and happen there? Because that truly is the story of Christmas and what it's all about. This was John's call for our life. It's ours as well. But the interesting thing is Zachariah's response to this message given to him by the angel comes with a consequence because Zechariah is skeptical of the good news given by the angel. So if you ever don't believe the promises of God or don't think that God can do something, count yourself in good company because Zechariah, a priest his entire life serving God, didn't believe what God was capable of doing. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this to be so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. See, due to the the apparent impossible circumstances facing this barren and childless couple, this old couple, Zechariah doubted God and God's promise. And the angel replied, and I just kind of see the angel just kind of bucket up at this moment. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and bring this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Go ahead, Denise. Because of his unbelief and distrust, he is silenced, unable to speak until the time comes for John to be born. He lived for the full length of the pregnancy, nine months, with the promise and the sign, without any full realization of the fulfillment of the promise because of what he did. Only Elizabeth knew. And even though the good news of a God who comes to us in the flesh to rescue us may seem too good to be true, something that's just made up, our response as Christians should be marked by deep faith and joy. Say joy. That's the meaning of the season. That's the whole point of this. It kind of culminates on this Sunday. It's why the candle's different. This is everything as it comes to be what it is that God has called us to be in this moment of joy. And when we trust God, then we share that with others. If we don't share God with others, how much do we really trust? If these promises that we think are just things that we go and do aren't really real, then we don't share them. But if we believe that these things are real, then we will share them with those around us because it's who we are. 
what we believe. And then fast forwarding to the birth of this promised boy nine months later. All the family had gathered together to share in this miraculous birth. You remember Elizabeth is actually a cousin of who? Mary. And Mary, who is also pregnant, will soon give birth to a boy. And that boy will be named what? Jesus. Jesus and John are cousins from the very beginning of their, of their time. They were in their mother's wombs. They were connected by the Spirit of God. So now the, John, the time has come for John to be born into the world first. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord had shown His great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. More joy, right? And when the baby is born, there's a familiar discussion that takes place in the age-old discussion. What is the name of the new baby? They didn't have the internet to look at the top 20 names. They didn't have all the fancy books to figure out what to name their child. They didn't have anything else to go on except tradition and what they usually do. So on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. Right? Zechariah Jr. That's how it worked, right? But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives have this name. See, everyone expected them to name him after his father, Zechariah. However, both Elizabeth and Zechariah agreed his name was to be John. This is what the angel foretold, even though he didn't believe in the beginning. They certainly believed now. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what the name he wanted to give him was. They're not going to listen to Elizabeth. She's a woman. They're not going to listen to her. Where's Zechariah? Zechariah, what are you going to name this kid? Zechariah Jr.? And I love this, this. All these pictures are from the Nativity story. If you haven't seen that movie, it is a great movie. And also, The Chosen is coming out, has an episode out for Christmas, which I posted on Facebook. But in this movie, I love this because Zechariah is not in a good mood. He is frustrated because you ever, ever had a time when you couldn't talk in your life? You had to write things down and try to be able to share that with somebody else? Zechariah is like beyond himself with his writing tablet about what everybody else is blowing Elizabeth off and saying, well, I don't really care what you think, Elizabeth. What do you think, Zechariah? And so he finally has had enough of it. He asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, His name is John! His name is John. And John's name in the Greek means grace by God. Grace by God or Jehovah has been gracious. And this name that's given to the boy speaks volumes to the joy that surrounds his life. God's been gracious to Elizabeth and Zechariah by giving them a son. You know, a son. He's going to have a purpose later on in life where they raise a child they never could have had. And some bad things are going to happen to him, but some great things are going to happen along the journey as he raised this child. And God's also been gracious because through John's life, the world prepared for the Messiah to come. 
the Savior, Jesus Christ, who will come and see his cousin and be baptized by him as he prepares the way and then starts his ministry here on the earth. And all of them were amazed. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue freed and he began to speak, praising God. So where do we find our true joy comes from? Our joy comes from the grace of God. Amen? That this grace is poured out on us and given to us. The relatives all celebrated John's birth. They shared in Elizabeth's joy. John's life is surrounded by joy. And that joy is the Lord's work. Zechariah is still unable to speak, but he writes the name John in agreement. And upon his obedient pronouncement of the boy's name, he once again is able to speak. So as he's writing that in the movie, he writes down, He's writing down his name is John. At the same time as he does that, his voice opens up. He's actually saying it as he's writing it and doesn't realize it till the end. His name is John. And his first response after getting his voice back is to rejoice. And he praises God for the promise fulfilled. Then fear came over all their neighbors and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed the hand of the Lord was with him. And so the grace that covered John's birth and life is the same grace that is given to us free of charge. We can never earn God's grace. We don't deserve it. It's a gift that's given to us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And we should be people marked by joy because of the grace given to us. Marked by joy that you can actually know and can see. When we live our lives from this place of joy, word spreads quickly. People are in awe of the miraculous birth of Christ at Christmas because we have that joy, not joy for the presents we receive, not joy for the decorations, not joy for the family meals or the parties, but joy for the true sense of that. You know people like this. You have this true sense of joy. So the questions I leave you today are are a couple. Are you someone who displays joy? Are you someone who people look at and they go, that person is joyful? Not just happy. Are you someone who knows the joys that come at Christmas? The full realization of the promise and understanding of it beyond everything else that happens. So when your lights burn out and the turkey gets burnt and the party isn't what you thought it was going to be, and the decorations don't look the way you want them to, and you're too busy, and you get the wrong present, and all these other things. If you find your joy in those things, they'll all fail. True joy is found elsewhere. So what is one way you can display the good news of the season by the way you live your life? Just one way. What's one way... You can go forth from this point in the season to live your way, your life in a joyful way that everyone can see and feel. Zechariah found that as he prepared. Remember, he had nine months to spend thinking about what he had done in the temple. Nine months is a long time to reconsider your decisions and the choices you make. So he was ready. 
And when that time came, they were so filled with joy. Say joy one last time. They were so filled with joy that they were ready. Are you ready to receive Christ again? Because that joy is down, 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 deep in your heart in a place where we prepared ourselves for the coming of Christ once again. Prepare our hearts, prepare our lives, prepare our world to receive him once again as he comes in joy. Hi. It was.
joy we come. Praise His name forever. And Zechariah had a song at the end after he started talking, which is a prophecy. And it's spoken after John is born and Zechariah's tongue was loose. And he sings a spirit-filled song like the song of Mary we heard earlier. But it's called the Benedictus. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors, remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hands of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the